I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics. C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hyperstatical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hyperstatical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hyperstatical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hi, I'm Shanti. And I'm Lynx. And you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited about this episode. I've really been looking forward to this one. Well, it's been a long time coming. It took me long enough to get it together. I feel like this one's going to be special because Dolly is special. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. I'm... um, a little bit tired today because I myself have been working not too fast. <laughs> um, however, I'd say if I actually had to make that song like for my own self, yeah, it would be seven thirty to three thirty <laughs> Monday to Friday. Then I tutor on Sundays and I rent my second bedroom so I can afford rent <laughs> to live in Toronto. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, so that's my Very life. Amazing. Yeah, so I really wanted to. Well, I had tried to get this episode done um, more early January mm-hmm. because it's such an inspiring story, and I thought it would be a nice way to kick off the new year. But I saw something online the other day, and uh, people were like, "Okay, my my new year starts February first. January was just a trial so run." Bad. <laughs> Because it was so bad for so many people. So if you guys want to start start fresh and you want a dose of inspiration, kind of feel-good story, then that's what we're in for today. It's perfect timing. Yeah. I, I need this. Yeah, yeah. And um, speaking of, you know, needing things and feeling good, I wanted to mention...
mention, um, for people who really are enjoying our podcast, whether you've been with us since the beginning or if you've just jumped on with us uh, since we've been with Pantheon and Rock and Roll Archaeology, then if you wouldn't mind going and giving us a rating and review on iTunes, that'd be great. The network is growing. The listenership is rising. And if you do like what we're doing, then give us a rating and review. Um, I think it's been a while since we've we've gotten one, and maybe it's because we haven't been asking for it. So yeah. we're asking. Please. And we love hearing feedback, and we love hearing from people on Instagram. And oh, yeah. That always feels so good. Um, or when people make actual comments, like on the website, and then it comes in through our emails. We read all of them. Thank you so much. And if you wouldn't mind translating that over to iTunes as well, um, where, yes, please. where the other people can read it, too. We'd, mm-hmm. we'd appreciate it. All right. Because we've been working. <laughs> so many hours. <laughs> so many hours. <laughs> All right. So for our episode on Dolly Parton, I got our information from a couple of different places. Uh, the ma- the majority of my research comes from the book Dolly Parton, Dolly, My Life and Other Unfinished Business, which came out in 1994. Uh, and Dolly wrote it. by Dolly Parton. Amazing. So I read this book when... Ooh, years ago, maybe five years ago, six years ago, and I had found it um, in in my mamere, was French for grandmother, mamere. I found it in her bookshelf uh, when I was spending a summer on the farm. I said, mamere, can I read this? And she said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. Go yeah. for it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember it being so inspiring at the time and really needing it at that moment because mm-hmm. it was, you know maybe a sad period in in my life and I really needed it and I was really appreciative that I had read it. It was like a gift that had come in. And so I had been thinking for a while that I wanted to do an episode on Dolly and hadn't got around to it. And then I saw the movie Dumplin' on Netflix oh, yeah. the March, I mean Christmas break. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the March yeah, break, yeah. by the way. <laughs> um, during Christmas break. And I know, yeah, you know, like Dolly, she really uplifts people and yeah. it's almost like it's one. Of, she's one of those interesting people where, even if you're just watching her on TV, you, you can't help but smile. Like she puts a smile on everyone's face. I don't think anyone could be like sad or miserable, you know, when Dolly's around. Yeah, she has just such words to live by. She's so amazing. Everything she says, yeah, up, very uplifting. Very, just incredible. What an amazing. Yeah, she's so yeah. quotable. Yeah, she's so quotable. Um. So that was the primary book that I used. Um, I also read Dream More, Celebrate the Dreamer in You. Nice. It's really, really nice. Um, it's like a three-parter. So there's it's separated into Dream More, Learn More, Care More, Be More. Sorry, that's four parts. Dream More, Learn More, Care More, Be More. And so... It's like a quick inspirational read that goes over a lot of her childhood as, uh, like, it's just not in as significant detail as the memoir that I read. So um, it's, and I'm quoting from, from the book, an honest and uplifting anthem for all who want to take charge of their lives and forge a future on their own terms. Nice. So what Dolly's saying in this book is basically you don't have to dream to be a star, but be the star of your own dreams. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other one was Dolly on Dolly, Interviews and Encounters with Dolly Parton. 
And that was an interesting read. I didn't use it too much for the episode. And I felt like it was interesting because some of the things that I read, I didn't exactly agree with Dolly and some things. And, like, the interviews hadn't aged well exactly. But she's the kind of person that I think could look at those things and say, well, I've grown from that and mm-hmm. and my views have changed. And I think it just had to do with, like, some topics on feminism and about uh, being a woman in the music industry. And, I gotcha. You know? It's yeah. You know, I was actually looking at my old journals from when I was a teenager. Um, they're, like, equally embarrassing and impressive. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, you know, um but I found it amazing. Some of the things I was, like, so adamant about in my opinions that I wrote down or, like, feelings for whatever, yeah, I'm, like, total opposite now. Like, I'm, like, I can't believe I, I so strongly believe this one. Now I'm just, like, I was crazy, you know? Like, it's just interesting, like, people do grow and change. and That's why I don't have any tattoos. Yeah. It's the commitment there. I don't have any either. And I'll be so certain that, like, this thing is the thing that totally... That is my symbol. Yeah. That represents me. And then, like, a few years later, like, well, maybe not. Or, yeah. So, yeah. no tattoos for me. I'm just, <laughs> I know for sure that, um, I can't say for sure about yeah. anything. It, yeah, I'm exactly. always changing exactly. my mind. And, yeah. And I'm okay with that. And I also read a People Magazine article from November of 2018. And then I took a little excerpt from the book Women Who Rock by Evelyn McDonald. Mm-hmm. Now, this is pretty interesting because that's going to be our next episode. Yeah. Interview with Evelyn McDonald. Evelyn McDonald has put together a book called Women Who Rock. It's incredible. It's incredible. I'm loving it. Love it. I can't wait to see the hard copy of it because we had been given a digital copy and uh, you have the hard copy. I do. So I can't wait to look over it. Yes. And in the book, I flipped immediately to the Dolly mm-hmm. chapter. Yep. And wouldn't you know who wrote the Dolly chapter? Lucretia? Lucretia. Amazing. Lucretia Ty Jasmine. So Lucretia is so fascinating. We were on her radio show not too long ago. She's based in L.A. She's a writer. She's such a feminist, and she's such a supporter of us. And Yeah, she's amazing as well. So many amazing women in that book, too. Not just the women who rock, but the women who are writing about the women who rock. Yeah, and we'll tell you all about that book and the photos and the authors and the woman who put it together next week. Yeah. So this is what Lucretia wrote. Mm -hmm. Not the, this is just the intro of what she wrote about Dolly, but I think it's a nice way to start. So this is what, these are Lucretia's words. Dolly Parton's story is quintessentially a rags-to-riches story, with this country pop soundtrack and self-governing glory. A songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, singer, and actor, Parton runs her own companies. Emerging alongside the women's liberation movement in the 1960s, she has become an icon of entrepreneurial spirit. The stories she writes, the stories she sings, and the stories she stars in intermingle in a chorus of celebration, like a gospel preaching creative and sexual freedom and unity, diversity, and equality. With over 100 million records sold worldwide, 25 number one songs on the Billboard country charts, and 41 top 10 country albums, Dolly has achieved more honors than any other female country performer. She may seem to be a backwoods Barbie, as she called her 2008 album, but she possesses the poise, voice, and authority of a politician. Absolutely. That's so good. Yeah. And so true. Yeah. 
So we've got a story here. We've got a love story. We've got a story of self-love, self-acceptance. you know, acceptance. And then, of course, we're going to tell you about her long, long, long-time marriage. Yeah. And that's a, that's a cute one, too. So uh, this February, Dolly is going to be honored as the Person of the Year by Music Cares for Humanitarian Work. Amazing. And she recently just had her 73rd birthday last month. So this is a great time to just keep on the Dolly train yeah. celebration. Yeah. So this uh, story that we're going to tell is about a story about starting small and fostering your dreams. It's perfect. How does that sound to you? It Link? sounds perfect. Okay. I'm, I'm prepared to be inspired. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm nervous. <laughs> you got this. Mm. So uh, Dolly hails from the Great Smoky Mountains of East Tennessee. Oh. So as she kind of calls it, like, Hicksville. <laughs> <laughs> She loved to read, she loved to dream, she loved fairy tales, and she began writing stories very early as a child. Um, in the foreword, um, she says it's a difficult process to write your own story, and that uh, she's so imaginative that at times it was hard to stick to the real thing and not embellish and not exaggerate and all these things. Oh. Yeah. Um, and uh, she says her life has been a coat of many colors. Hmm. So in 1946, January 19th, 1946, Dolly was born in a house which was little more than a shack. Wow. Her mother was Avi Lee Parton. Her father, Robert Lee Parton. And born that day was Dolly Rebecca Parton. So her real name is Dolly. That's so cool. Yeah. It suits her so well. Mm-hmm. That's what you call me. Yeah. Hi, Dolly. <laughs> so, of course, we're always interested in the reason why people write their books, write their autobiographies. And, and, you know, Dolly's one of the first people to say, like, you know, money. Yeah. Well, it's a good <laughs> paycheck. But also, you know. There's a good story here as well. Yes. Yeah, she says, I hope to tell in this book how I have become the best Dolly Parton I can be. Largely through trial and error, I can assure you, but it is up to you to, the, to be the best, your name here, you can be. If I can help in any way, then I feel good about taking your money for this book. <laughs> if I don't help, I still feel okay about taking your money because <laughs> I think you will at least be entertained. Besides, I need the money. As I always say, it costs a lot to make a person like this. <laughs> I love her so much. Um, I do have to say, though, Dolly, the book that, like, I'm speaking, uh, Dolly, I'm speaking to you. I originally read the book at my grandmother's, and then I had to go to the Toronto Reference Library to pick up a copy of this uh, this book here. Otherwise, you're paying $50 for it on Amazon. So I'm not sure why it's out of print, but it should really come back. Really? Fantastic. I'm, I'm surprised. Hmm. Yeah. So Dolly grew up very poor, and she was neither proud nor ashamed of this fact. Her mother was 15 when she was married, and uh, she was married to Dolly's father when he was 17. Wow. Dolly's mother had 12 kids by the time she was 35. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine 12 kids? Hell no. I can't even imagine one child (laughs) at age 31. Thank you very much. 12. Wow. Yeah. They were so poor that her father could never give her mother a wedding ring like for many years. Um, Dolly was the fourth child, mm-hmm. and I found it interesting when she you know, tells the 
story of like her siblings' names. She has a sister named Willadine, which is I'm pretty sure the same character in Dumplin. The main character oh, in Dumplin really? is Willadine. Yeah. Um, so her parents gave him everything they could. Although they didn't often say "I love you," there was lots of love in the house. That's good. Yeah. Her father was a sharecropper, so he farmed a land, but it was not his. Mm. The woman who did own the land was a woman who Dolly called Aunt Marth, and she was the woman who introduced her to music. Oh, cool. Yeah, so she would place Dolly on her knee and sing her a song with Dolly's name in it, and Dolly was like, I can't believe there's such a thing as a song with my mm. name in it. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> she wanted to be amused. Yeah. Um, they The family moved when Dolly was five, and they moved their belongings <laughs> with a mule pulling a sled. Wow. Um, her dad had put a lot of work into the house, and when they first moved in, there were newspapers all over the walls to keep the house warm. And Dolly says, if there's one positive thing about being poor, it's that it makes a person more creative. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So one of her toys was a doll made out of a corn cob. She used to catch June bugs and attach them to a string. Wow. She called them electric kites. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's like some awesome stories in the book, like how she would, one day she followed a butterfly so far that it got so dark and she got lost because that's how big like the land was around from the house. Um, But she was saved by the family cow, Bessie, who happened to be walking through on her way home to get fed. Bessie, so, take me home, Bessie. Yeah, so the mom was ringing the bell for the cow to come home. Dolly saw the cow held on tight. Amazing. And uh, by the time she got home, she was, you know, dirty, bruised, scratched. <laughs> but she was home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She used to do things like um, there'd be chickens underneath, I don't know, like a deck or something, and there were holes in the deck. Yeah. And uh, if you pretended to feed the chickens or if the chickens thought you were giving them food, they put their beaks Beak up through. through it and she'd hold on to their beaks. <laughs> um, and she said that uh, that merited a Tennessee butt whooping. Oh. Yeah. So mm-hmm. things like, so they were, yeah, they had, you know, they got spanked and stuff like that. Very old fashioned. Yeah. Yeah. Animals were a big part of their lives. So, you know, imagine. The, yeah, being yeah. with all that land. And I love this story. Dolly says, I don't remember it myself, but my family swears there was a time when I was caught sucking a sow. <laughs> So, that's a pig. I was about three years old, and we had a sow who had fewer pigs than she had nipples. Well, she was lying under a snowball bush with her little litter there, and there was an empty place at dinner, so I fell in with the pigs and got myself a nice plump teat. I was soon discovered and quickly removed from the sow with considerable embarrassment, more to my mama than to me. I don't know that there's anything to it, but somehow suggested that there could be some connection between that incident and the way I developed later in life. <laughs> if a sow's objective is to fatten up her offspring, then she would have been mighty proud of the way her temporary one turned out. There was a time when I definitely became a hog. That's amazing. I love it. I love her so much. It was funny. Um, She has a really nice way of viewing life and wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, So her whole family, you know, they worked. They worked really, really hard. And she says the whole family might work for days to clear tremor, move rocks, whatever it took to scratch out enough farmable land to plant one extra row of corn. 
corn. But from that day on, the partons would be one row of corn richer. Yes, I said richer, for riches are in the riches are in the mind and spirit of the one eating the corn. When you think about it, gold has no real value at all. It's too soft to make tools out. Of, and you can't scrape enough of it together to make a good cooking pot. On a scale of real worth, it can't possibly compare to the golden, a good fat ear of corn that would pop when you bit it, or even gold in the homemade butter you roll the corn in. That is especially true when the dirt and calluses on the hands holding the corn were earned honestly by helping to grow it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So, one time she... uh almost cut her toes clean off after jumping a fence and the way that they dealt with it was that her mom poured kerosene on it and sewed her foot back together with sewing needles cornmeal and no anesthetic oh my god can you imagine yeah i mean no 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 thanks but (laughs) yeah um, she, she did work on the farming fields and would try her best to get out of it so she could read, sing songs, sing about songs, or dream. Aww. Yeah. She was um, adorable as a kid, too. Well, she says that, like, she wasn't as cute as the rest of her siblings, which is, I think, why she had to be funny and yeah. entertaining. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Dolly's form of Instagram or Tinder as a young girl was called a pie supper. A pie supper. Yeah. So every girl baked a pie, brought it to a social, and was auctioned off to the boy who bid the most for it. (laughs) Afterwards, he sat with the girl and the two of them shared the pie. That's an interesting kind of like blind date thing. You sit down and share a pie that you made. Yeah. Eat my pie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A few boys had bid for her pie, and she was... Yeah, and that's when she knew she was of interest, mm. you know, to the boys. Um, I got more than one bid here. Yeah, that's right. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, her mother, for what twelve kids? I said twelve okay. kids. So her mother always had a really nice way of realizing when the children need a little bit of extra love, right, and attention. And so when one child was feeling particularly down, what the, her mom would do is uh, make stone soup. And so what you did was the kids had to go out and try to find the most beautiful pieces of rocks. So if they brought home the most beautiful rocks, then the mom would make soup out of it. And so like for a long time, for many years, Dolly was always sort of looking for rocks to just have in her collection when it was time to make rock soup. And so her mom would put it in, um, you know, the pot, whoever won, but it was whatever child needed the love at that point. And then she would then put in the stuff for the soup, like the carrots and the broth and the whatever. But she basically would just talk about how perfect and yummy the soup was and how it just couldn't have been made without the help of the child and so then the child would feel really special that they had something to do with I got you you. know something magical that helped that helped that's cute yeah um her mother would sing while she made quilts and uh she quilted often um but her mom also did strange things, like she told them that if uh, they didn't go to bed, that old raw head bloody bones would get them. Oh, that sounds scary. And if they weren't um, sleeping, that her mom, like her mom, would go outside and scratch the windows <laughs> and pretend to be old. <laughs> what the hell was it? Old 
raw head bloody bones. Old raw head bloody bones. That sounds like a horror movie character. Yeah. Speaking of quilting, they were so poor that people would drop off scraps of cloth, and kind of that's how quilting got started, but her mother would make coats from these scraps for the children. Wow. She would try and find scraps that matched, but for Dolly, she made one of the brightest colors she had. So She had a special coat. That's right. So the mom was quilting it, putting it together, and Dolly loved it. And as soon as it started to resemble a coat, Mm -hmm. she'd beg her mom to let her wear it. Her mom spent so much time on it, which is tough when you have so many other kids. So for Dolly, this was just like the, the most amazing gift. And she was so proud of it. And when the day came for Dolly to wear it to school, she was more excited than if it were Christmas. And she wanted to be noticed. She would say, she went to school and said, see my new coat? (laughs) And one boy said, new? That's a bunch of rags. And then everyone made fun of her. But she kept it on and wouldn't take it off because she wanted to show the kids how beautiful it was. And she wanted to show it to God. She says, as painful as it was, that that experience at school was a great blessing to me. It was what inspired me years later to write the song Coat of Many Colors. It also was a big hit, and that did uh, a lot to help me forget that early pain. It's amazing how healing money can be. That's amazing. Um, I can totally picture this adorable coat and all these bright colors. And they're just like sauntering off to school all excited yeah it's a beautiful story and it's a beautiful song and it's got a really nice message um one story that i really liked was uh one day their parents let willa dean um like left left the girls at home a couple of the girls at home and willa dean discovered some cocoa butter and sugar oh and so this is like jackpot yeah right and so they made chocolate candy but the girls did it in secret, promising not to ever tell their parents. And they ate all of it. They got rid of any clues that they had done it. And as soon as her parents pulled up the driveway, Dolly, thinking she was being smart, said, Mama, Dean didn't make no chocolate candy. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> um, her grandma would save her flower sacks, and that's what she made her dresses out of. Wow. They really like, were creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dolly loved snow, and she loved Christmas, and all of their decorations on their tree would be homemade. So if a bird's nest was around the tree, they would make little eggs out of tin foil, and it would be part of the decoration. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, a Christmas stocking is a marvelous thing. You leave an empty, limp sock hanging there at night, and then wake up to find it fat with promise, nearly bursting at the seams with rare and precious goodies. Here was a lesson in hope, faith, and fulfillment you could actually hold in your hands. That's beautiful. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. 
It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. So her parents had their own special way of sharing Christmas. Um, when they couldn't afford anything else, Dolly's mom would give her father a box of chocolate-covered cherries and a package of handkerchiefs. And every Christmas since then, even when the family was quite abundant, you know, thanks to Dolly and mm-hmm. her success, um, Dolly's mother would still always give him... Kept the tradition? A, yeah, Aww. chocolate-covered cherries and a package of handkerchiefs and it just has that special symbolizes uh, symbolism and helps them to appreciate more fully what yeah they had gained exactly um but in dolly says at the time that was lost on us kids we were primarily interested in daddy's chocolate cherries and whether or not he would share them mm. he always did of course he did yeah um so i'd mentioned that dolly's mom had never gotten a wedding ring but one year she did But that year, the children did not get presents. Mm. So instead, what the father did was he hid the ring and he said, whichever child found it got the gift. And the gift was uh, a big box of chocolates, which ended up being big enough for everyone to share. And that ended up being Dolly's favorite Christmas. They sound like such a happy family and Mm -hmm. so together. Yeah. I love that. They didn't always see eye to eye on everything. Well, (laughs) of course. For example, the way Dolly eventually started dressing. But when she was young, before she was, you know, Dolly wearing wearing her signature Dolly hair and makeup and clothing, um, she used things that she found around the house to make her makeup. So, for example, and I'm probably saying this wrong, but she found Merciolate for lipstick and used flour for face powder. For eyeshadow, she would burn matches, lick the blackened ends, and apply the paste to her eyebrows and lashes. So creative. She used so crazy. Juice of pokeberries for her rouge. Amazing. I remember when I was a kid, anytime I would eat beets, I'd be like, lipstick, <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> lipstick, lipstick. Yeah. And now you don't have to use beads. I mean, <laughs> always have beautiful red and pink lips. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as you are saying, like, she was cute as a child, but she never considered herself beautiful. But mm-hmm. she said all of her sisters were beautiful with good hair. And so that made her feel a little bit uh, lonely and out of place. Um her mother went down in the history books as uh, surviving spinal meningitis. Wow. Because it typically comes with an unsurvivable fever. Wow. 
Um, at the time, her mother was pregnant with another child when she got that spinal meningitis, and it was supposed to be Dolly's baby because as the children grew, the older ones took care of the younger yeah. ones, and depending on, like, the age differences, um, the older child would get their baby. So okay. it was finally time for Dolly to get her baby. I see. And unfortunately, that child did not survive. Mm-hmm. Um... And Dolly says that she remembers being mad at God that her baby had died. Um, And she couldn't sing for a while after that. But afterwards, her voice became richer for having known loss. Oh. Yeah. (sighs) So there was a man who lived nearby who taught Dolly to play the banjo because she was always singing. So... um, it was time to learn the instruments. And um, this old man, people had always spread rumors about him around town, but Dolly, you know, she took him everyone. for his, yeah. yeah. And um, he taught her the banjo, and he also taught her that it was all right to be different. Good for him. So Dolly says that her life has been driven by three mysteries, God, music, and sex. Ooh, interesting combo there. Yeah, kind of reminds me of Pamela. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. She says that she found God in her own unique way. She always felt a need for God and to have her own personal relationship. Um, She says that she always thought that people took the Bible too literally and that judge not lest ye be judged was just swept under the rug. Hmm. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, so this is what Dolly says. I guess as honorable as my intentions might be, it is going to be impossible to write about my three passions without mixing them together in the same way they overlap and intertwine within me. Nature, which is God, is going to have its way. Hmm. Yeah. So Dolly went to church and she would feel repentant for things that she wasn't even sure of. Uh, So there I sat, trying to be holy, praying for forgiveness for sins I couldn't put my finger on, and all the while being aware of the boys looking at me, the woods behind the church, and the possible combination of all these things. (laughs) The devil and I certainly had one thing in common. We were both horny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, I guess... Most religions come with that guilt. Uh, so I attended Bible camp. Wow. Ages uh, like 9, 10, and 11. And 10 and 11, I had a crush there. And he mm-hmm. liked me too. Mm. Yeah. Getting uh, getting a little cozy in At Bible camp? camp? Oh, I mean, <laughs> it, we didn't even touch hands. <laughs> but uh, we liked but each other. But you looked at each other across the hall and like... Yeah. You just knew. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew Morley, if uh, you're out there, (laughs) I've tried to find you, and there's a lot of Matthew Morleys. You're American, (laughs) and um, you had a very strong faith, and if you're listening, shoot me a line. Let me know what's up. See what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. There's a piano in the church, and therefore... Like I've said his name, but like I actually looked, and there are so many Matthew Morley's out there. Thank you. Uh, there's a panel inside the church, and therefore all of the three things which she previously mentioned: God, sex, music. Mm-hmm. When she was 12, she found an old mandolin in a barn and would sing hymns to God while thinking about the pictures that she saw at church, which like the like 
I don't know, like a naked Jesus, I'm thinking, and realized that she wanted to make music and travel for a living. So, I don't know, like, she had mentioned something about dirty pictures at church, and I don't know yeah, what I would kind of church. Like, yeah, maybe just... Are we just talking about Jesus and his little... That's the kind of go-to... Pentaloons? Yeah. I would assume that figured in there, at least. Okay. So, Dolly had found God... She had found Dolly Parton, and she loved them both. Good for Dolly. She wanted to be baptized. So her mother allowed it one day in Little Pigeon River. Um, She wore a white dress, and she was ready to be purified in the water. Some local boys had come to watch the ceremony. And this is what she says about (laughs) that. When I was 12, those body parts that were destined to become my calling card in life and the reference point for many a joke by late-night talk show hosts were already well in evidence. In my white cotton dress had oh, become some, oh my white no. cotton dress had become somewhat transparent in the rushing water and <laughs> the boys on the bank were moved to shout, Hallelujah! <laughs> this seemed inappropriate to some of the attending church biddies who had seen through the sudden groundswell of boys among on the shore that they had surely seen through my dress. Mm-hmm. I thought it was altogether in keeping with what I had learned in the old... Uh, shape and my relationship with my friendly God, he wouldn't have given them to me if he hadn't wanted people to notice them. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In terms of music, she says that it will sustain her when she's too old for sex and not quite ready to meet God. That's good. Yeah, makes sense. Music is always there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, since she was able to form words, she was able to rhyme them. So she's now got a little bit of banjo. She's got a little bit of mandolin. She's got the singing. So her Uncle Lewis began to see that she was serious about music and wanting to learn. And so he taught her the guitar. Amazing. Um, She used a tin can and a tobacco steak as a microphone. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would perform for anybody who would listen, even the chickens and the pigs and the ducks. You gotta train yourself. Just practicing. Back to sex. Living on a farm, she was always aware that it was there, and she said the animals were always more than willing to do their part (laughs) for sex education. (laughs) (laughs) She also says that going through puberty was more like puberty going through her, like Sherman's army through Georgia. And she wanted to know everything about sex, and she wasn't shy to ask about it. She was open-minded about it and had never had a bad experience with it. She says it is an intimate and wonderful way to show emotion. It was never dirty, and, you know, if God had meant us to fly, he'd just given us wings. If only all people who, you know, are religious and, you know, connected to God felt that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just throw away that guilt, and, like, we all experience it just enjoy yeah dolly says that um she got her love for god and music from her grandpa jake who was a preacher she even wrote a song about him 
She says, my grandma did preach so hot you could feel the fires of hell. I suppose I got my love for God and music from him. In return, I gave him a fit when it came to my tight clothes, bleached hair, and makeup. He was just sure I was doomed to hell. He would call me Jezebel and then shake his head and say, Lord, the devil must have made you wear your clothes that way and bleach your hair like that. And I'd say, no offense, granddaddy, but I did this all by myself. The devil had nothing to do with it. She's just so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so she really got the best of both worlds in terms of both sides of her family. Her father's side was a hardworking, no-nonsense farmers, and her mother's side were vagabonds who lived to play music and wouldn't let anything, including earning a living, stand in the way of that. Right? And yeah. you need to have kind so, of both yeah. of that. Um, that's it's inspiring. And... She says, it's as if the Partons fed me and the Owenses, that's her mom's side, served up a dessert of dreams. That's so amazing. I'm going to keep reading and quoting because it's just too good. You know, like I, I feel I love, like I quote yeah. a lot, but it's just so eloquent. That she, like you said, she's just so quotable. Yeah. Daddy would have understood planting watermelon seeds after the last frost and then having the satisfaction of sitting back under a tree in July and eating the sweet melon. He would appreciate knowing you started with the plan, saw it through, and then enjoyed the fruits of it. Mama would have the same kind of understanding about planting a bunch of dreams and watering them with sweat and tears. Of course, they would bear fruit. It's the nature of things. It was the Owens in me that made me plant dreams, but I probably would not have had the will to put out the sweat and tears without the parton. Yes, you need both. You definitely need both. Yeah. Her uncle, Billy, really encouraged her to pursue her music and was the only one really, like, back in those days who had the same vision as she did as he was also pursuing a music career. That's awesome. Yeah. He was a great visionary and gave her time and attention, which was something she kind of needed being the fourth child born in a family of 12. She often went unnoticed. He believed that she had potential, so... That's really important, you know, to a young person when Absolutely. somebody just believes that you have potential. Continually pushing you forward. Yeah. Her uncle Billy introduced her to a very rich man by the name of Cass Walker who had his own show on television. He was very opinionated and did what he wanted. Her uncle wanted her to be on that show, so he brought her backstage once, and when she met him, she wa- swallowed her butterflies and said, Mr. Walker, I want to work for you. To which he shook her hand and said, well, you've got a job. A lot of people come to me and say, Mr. Walker, I want a job. But you said you want to work for me. You're hired because you're the first one that ever wanted to work. (laughs) She then started singing on the radio. And that's when, you know, things came to a head for her as a performer. Um, Her insecurity came face to face with her ambition. Her shyness banged heads um, with her need for attention. Interesting. She was either in fear of success or failure and decided that if she was going to do it, that she was just going to do it for the rest of her life or not at all. All or nothing. Yeah. So like she sang on top of her wood pile at home, she began to sing into that radio or into that microphone and onto the radio. And the crowd loved it. And this is when she fell in love with the public. They screamed for an encore and she didn't have one. So she sang her song again. Oh, Dolly. Yeah. She was 10 years old. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So this experience really kept her on the road to her dream. Mm-hmm. 
she started to sing on television, and this was even before her family owned one. Wow. They had only had a battery-operated radio. Mm-hmm. She'd make $5 a show, which is what her father would make working all day in a sawmill. Wow. Um, yeah, so Cal would take the show to different cities, and uh, he would bring Dolly with him. And then she actually bought her family a television. That's so cool. Yeah. Sorry, not Cal. Cass. Cass. Cass is his name. Um, so Cass had a contest at one of his events, and he had a large pole greased up, and at the top of it was $250. This is how she bought the TV. Um, Dolly ended up getting to the top of the pole because it was a competition. Greased up pole, 250 Whoever can get it wins the money. So Dolly ended up... Uh, to the top of the pole because she doused herself in water, rolled in the sand, got all dirty, and then was able to amazing, combat yeah. the slipperiness of the pole. She got the two hundred and fifty dollars. That's our girl. That is, you know. And um, so Dolly says that the TV had a profound effect on that bunch of hillbillies, meaning her family. Her brothers and sisters ended up watching it all the time. Relatives and neighbors would come over, and there were sometimes up to 30 people in the living room at one time watching. Oh, very communal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so her fame began to grow. Um, her feistiness was an asset in the music business. It was said of her when she was younger that she was smart enough to know everything and dumb enough to say it. <laughs> once when the house uh once when the oh the house band of a TV show was kind of kidding with her that they were go- they weren't going to play with her she gave them a piece of her mind and told them that they would play <laughs> and that they would like it <laughs> as she became more locally famous it was more difficult for her to attend school um there were those who resented it of course. Right? And some behaviors included locking her in a coat room. People like it. They're jealous. Yeah. When she was 12, it came the day when she made her first record. One of her uncles lived next to a, record, a recording studio in Louisiana and was friends with the owner. So she had a bus ticket and a journey that would take her several days, but no one to take her. So she found her, like, it made it her mission to find someone Wow. That someone was her grandma, Rima, who had never been out of the county. Amazing. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty funny story in the book. Some things happened. It wasn't the smoothest of, yeah. of trips. Adventure, huh? It was an adventure, but they got there. Finally, she got to her destination and recorded her first little record, Puppy Love, written by her and her uncle, Billy oh, Owens. Cute. This is 12. Yeah. amazing. The flip side was Girl Left Alone, which Uncle Billy and Aunt Dorothy Joe had helped her on. And she also fell in love for the first time when she was there. With a boy named Johnny. Handsome. Well kept. And not like the country bumpkins she was used to. (laughs) They spent every minute together, sneaking off under the oak trees behind the studio. He was sweet and gentle and knew how to kiss. Ooh, go Johnny. Yeah, needless to say, that trip changed her life. On the way home, she begged her uncle to stop uh, to buy her a banana. Oh. And so she ate a banana for the first time in her life. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of firsts on that trip, she felt. She, a lot of firsts on that trip, she said, I felt like a woman of the world, if ever there was one. <laughs> Imagine oh. that, never eating a banana. God, that's crazy. But yeah, if 
Where would they get them? Her record did get some play on the radio. Uh, around this time, Dolly really started to play the guitar and sing as well, honing her skills. Um, the bus would get her to TV gigs early, and she would just sit and practice. So, next stop, Nashville. Amazing. Her Uncle Billy wanted her there, and she had her sights set on the Grand Ole Opry. Hmm. It was on this occasion that she met Johnny Cash. Amazing. One night after show, her and Bill waited for Johnny Cash in the parking lot. Of that experience, she says, it was late and I was getting sleepy. I kept saying to Bill, come on, we can meet him some other time. Then a man stepped out the stage door and walked over to us. And there was no other time. There was only this moment. There was only me and Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. I had never seen a man with such a presence. Tall, lanky, and sexy with that trademark voice that cut through me like butter. Now I knew what star quality was. He had it. It was a combination of personal charisma and intense sex appeal. The way he walked, the way he looked at you, everything about him was special. I was blown away. I was just a 13-year-old girl from the Smokies, but I would have gladly given it up for Mr. Cash right there in the parking lot. (laughs) Wow. Well, hello. Johnny Cash. Yep. Soon thereafter, she found herself singing at the Opry. She was backstage, ready to go on, and when it was her time, none other than Johnny Cash introduced her. Amazing. At 13, we've got a little girl here up from East Tennessee. Her daddy's listening to the radio at home, and she's going to be in real trouble if she doesn't sing tonight, so let's bring her out here. (laughs) So cute. As nervous as she was, she sang like she did back in the old chapel for God and Mama and Daddy. She sang for everybody who ever believed in her. And she says, somehow I believed in me. I guess it showed in my voice. 2,000 people cheered for three encores. She was prepped for one, not three. And someone later told her, you looked like you were out there saying, here I am, this is me. She says, I was, not just to the audience, but to the whole world. She's, like, one of the most self-aware women, like, ever. Even at, like, 13. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, like, she had the love of her family, and she had the love of God. Yeah, faith in herself. And and that translated, I think, to faith in herself. Yeah. And that really built her up. And I can really see how, you know, faith in this incident, in this instance, instance, was a really positive thing. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So she toured for the next couple of years in her Uncle Bill's car. Um, You know, she says, to an outsider, the quest for stardom might seem too frustrating, too heartbreaking. The whole system might seem cruel. Front office people might seem put there simply to keep you from getting anywhere. The fact is, they are. Trying to weed out those few people with talent from all of that sea of dreamers is quite a job. It's a lot like looking for a four-leaf clover, which would be easy to find if it weren't for all of those three-leaf ones. Mm -hmm. The problem is, every one of those three-leaf clovers thinks he's a four-leafer. He has to in order to keep going and pushing. Always on the move so you can't count his leaves. Wow. Mm-hmm. From there, there was a lot of waiting and waiting in offices to be seen, to be heard. And it finally paid off because uh, Buddy Killen finally let them, like her and her uncle, into the office. And after hearing her sing with her guitar, offered her a deal with um, 
you know, uh, publishing demo recording sessions with yeah. Mercury Records. Amazing. So uh, setbacks, if you want to call call them that, did occur because it's one thing to make a record and then it's one thing to get it played on the radio. Absolutely. As we know from our conversation with exactly. John Scott, Lance Tom Petty. So she went back home to finish high school, and she was not well-liked, especially by the girls. Plus, since Dolly dressed flashy, the girls spread rumors that she was a tramp, and the boys liked her more for that, and then so the girls liked her even less. Yeah. What a circle. She liked dressing sexy from a young age and saved up all of her money to bleach her hair. She says, I couldn't get my hair big enough or yaller enough. <laughs> couldn't get my skirt tight enough. My blouse is low enough. Couldn't get my boobs to stand up high enough or squeeze them together close enough. She knew what she wanted to look like and yeah. she went for it. Yeah. The one thing she did like about school was the band and the teacher let her sit in the band room for hours just picking up songs and plucking them on the piano. Cool. And during breaks from school, she would go and do the Cass Walker show. Yeah, just slowly building up her career. Exactly. She did have a few friends who really believed in her, like her school friend Judy and her cousin Georgia. I'm pretty sure Judy worked for her for years. Like, they were lifelong friends. They listened to her talking about her dreams and the things she was going to do and seemed proud when she wrote songs and wrote songs in their car. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a friend named Colleen who was a huge Elvis fan. And this is how, and I just put this story in. Like, there are so many stories that I'm not putting in, obviously. And so the ones that I'm picking out, I'm thinking, like, you might like yeah, them. Yeah. Um, so... Huge Elvis fan. Amazing. This is what Dolly says. When word got around that Elvis was going to be on the Ed Sullivan show, Colleen was just hell-bent to see him. Almost nobody up there had a TV. Most of the ones who did wouldn't let any of the kids watch Elvis on it because they said he was violent of the devil. Of course. Well, Colleen knew the one old lady who never missed Ed Sullivan and would no doubt have her set tuned into the show that night. She decided to sneak off there to watch Elvis, even if it meant they had to watch through the old lady's window. As she was walking into the yard, she got attacked by a pack of dogs and was bitten all over. No! She finally did get to see Elvis. Were they hound dogs? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, you had to. You had to. Uh, She finally did get to see Elvis, but then Colleen was beaten up when she got home because she had sneaked off. I doubt anyone had ever paid a higher price to see Elvis. Oh, Colleen. Yeah. Yeah, that's dedication. Yeah. So, we're 1964, okay? Okay. And Dolly is graduating. Her senior trip was to New York. Years later, she would be given a key to the city, but she always gets excited seeing that skyline the best best. after graduation it was time to leave her hometown and go to nashville to become a star as you do of course she was laughed at when she said this at her graduation and of course everyone they're not laughing anymore um now they're telling everyone i went to school with dolly parton and those are the people who um you know went to junior college or went off to get married yep Um, She says that she may have crumbled under the pressure of things to come had it not been for that laughter that day. She had something to prove. Yeah. Yeah. She says, early next morning, I boarded a Greyhound bus with my dreams, my old guitar, the songs I had written, and the rest of my belongings in a set of matching luggage, three paper bags from the same grocery store. (laughs) 
That was her luggage. That's amazing. Three paper bags from the grocery store. As a graduation gift, uh, she had asked her relatives for cash. Smart. Mm-hmm. You know, she dealt with disappointment. Her money disappeared. She was hungry. She was homesick, disheartened. Um, she had never slept in a bed without her brothers and sisters. Oh, wow, yeah. Believe it or not, she even missed being peed on. Oh. Um, what you're used to. Yeah, yeah. She's not proud of it, but uh, when Dolly didn't have any food, she'd go to the grocery store, and she'd be pretending to check the produce for ripeness, and she'd just, like, yeah. eat some produce. Oh. It was around this time that Dolly met her husband, yeah. or, you know, soon-to-be lifelong partner husband, Carl oh. Dean. She was doing her laundry, and she's, um, yeah, so she's graduated high school. She's around 16. Okay. Okay. She was doing her laundry, walking around outside the laundromat, sipping a Coke, and she was wearing a red ruffled rib tickler with tight bell bottom. <laughs> yeah. It's just that I had read an article that said she was 13, but uh, oh, she was definitely 16 or older. Sure. She says, a man drove by and said something like, you're going to get a sunburn in that outfit. That's all right, I said, giving him a wave. I've always tried to be friendly. Besides, there's just a natural reaction to a country person that a country person has when a car goes by. Your hand flies up. Mm. It never occurred to me perhaps a young girl shouldn't be waving at strange men in cars. I guess the man liked what he saw because he drove around the block and came back again. This time he stopped his car and began um, flirting with me. He was drop-dead handsome, so I wasn't bothered much. I talked with him a while. We made a few jokes back and forth. When I told him I had taken my, I had to take my clothes out of the dryer, I expected him to go on his way. It shocked me when he came into the laundromat with me. I didn't want this handsome man with his fine car watching me while I folded my ragged drawers. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I just caught myself and I was like, she wasn't 13, don't worry, she was 16. But even like, it's still... You know, her mom was married at 15. Yeah. Her dad was married at 17. This is still 1964, and no, it's not okay for a grown man to be pulling up in a car beside a 16-year-old. Please no. don't ever think that Lynx and I are, like, advocating for anything like this. No. You know? Priscilla was 14 when she met Elvis. It's crazy. It, it's fucked it's, up. Yeah. Okay? no other words for it and it's certainly you know it was accepted in that time but we know better and never again thank you yeah thank you very much so dolly said that carl thomas dean was so different from the men she knew back home he looked her in the eye he wanted to know everything about her he was just irresistible um, he would sit with her when she was babysitting, and when she had a day off, he brought her home to his mother, who was cooking, and said, Fix this girl a plate. She's the one I'm going to marry. They have an incredible, long, long relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about their marriage in just a second. She was horrified when Carl told her he was joining the army and going to Vietnam, mm-hmm. so she just threw herself into her work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, she finally began to be what people in the industry called hooked up. So she did live spots on the Ralph Emery show, on the Edie Hill show, like her career started taking yeah. off. On Memorial Day, May 30th, 1966, 
Carl and Dolly wed. So kind of in secret because um, as her career was getting started, she was advised by the people looking after her not, not to, to be married. publicly. It's so interesting that so many of the artists back then were told like marriage is a, a, um, a career killer. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they did anyways because she just didn't want to wait. So it was a very simple wedding. Um, she says that she's still learning about him to this day, which is how she thinks a relationship should be. Mm-hmm. She says, it's wonderful to have the feelings of comfort and security that comes from believing you completely know a person inside and out. But it is also exciting to know in the back of your mind, you actually don't. I guess I will always keep learning about Carl. That's good. So a little bit more about Carl is that he's a really nice combination of things. He's a great mechanic, so he, you know, would love fixing up an old junk car and making it work again. But he also studied art in high school. He liked to paint. Uh And every once in a while, he'd write a sweet verse. Super well-rounded. Yeah. He liked to horse trade, buy old properties, and he made his own money. Like, he made good money. Um, And even though he had money, he loved to look around for old things. So he liked to go to probably little markets and barn sales, things like that. And he'd bring Dolly and she'd sit in the car and she'd read and she would write. Of course. Yeah. She says, he's very much a loner. And of course, that suits my lifestyle perfectly. We see each other often, but we are not in each other's faces all the time. That's key. Yeah. I often sit up late at night writing as I am with this book, while he's snoozing away. (laughs) Then he'll be up and gone before I even get up. Carl is very devoted to his family and friends. He's the first one to the hospital, the funeral home, taking food to the bereaved, whatever. He's also readily readily available to give the bride away if some redneck father in the family is too embarrassed to. Aww. Go, Carl. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so the the they managed to keep their marriage out of the press. In 1966, she won an award for BMI's Song of the Year for Put It Off Until Tomorrow. Yeah. And um, if you don't see Carl out often with Dolly, mm-hmm. there's a reason. Um, after that award ceremony that he had gone to with her, he said, Honey, I love you, and I will support you in your career any way that I can. I know it's a big part of you, and you wouldn't be the same person if you didn't do it. But the limelight is not for me. I'll be here at home waiting for you, but I am not going to any more of these wingdings. <laughs> and he's been a wingdingless man of his word ever since. That's amazing. And that's probably what helps make it work, too. She's got her career, and she does that, and then she gets to go home and have that life as well. Yeah. She says, it was at that moment that I first began to realize that a performer has to give up certain things in her personal relationships in order to have a bigger relationship with the public. Mm -hmm. By bigger, I don't necessarily mean better. Carl will always be my husband when the lights die down. I will always go go home to him. He loves me for what I am, and he knows that my singing is a big part of me. It was about to become a much bigger part. Mm, it was yeah yeah it was yeah so um i've seen pictures of him yeah around that time Ooh, he's like my type yeah yeah um which is kind of like you would have been waving at that car too yes i would have (laughs) tall like great hair square jawline and pointy nose nice you know what i mean like brown hair square jawline pointy nose 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So now I'm going to just let you know from the uh, People Magazine article yeah. um, what she says is like kind of the secret to their relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She says, uh, I always joke and laugh when people ask me, what's the key to my long marriage and lasting love, says Parton. I always say, stay gone. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that. I travel a lot, but we really enjoy each other when we're together and little things we do. Yeah. Yeah. So they renewed their vows for their 50th wedding anniversary. Amazing. Yeah, because it was so, you know, That's small. That's a huge milestone. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, if their wedding was small, it's nice that they got to celebrate, you know. 50 years later, a little bigger. Yep. So, uh, and they, and then the time that they do have together, they spend it really well. So it really sounds like it's not a codependent relationship yeah. in the sense of um, they're on top of each other all the time. And it honestly made me think about my relationship yeah. uh, a lot because I am a cling-on. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to... Be touching space at all times. Good. Space is space healthy. is good, and I need to remember that. And yeah. healthy, and everybody. Yep. It makes you enjoy the time together even more. You know, it's like make it special. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um. So together, they still take mini trips in their little camper. They have picnic lunches in the Tennessee countryside. Um. They also forego glamorous date nights for low key dinner at their favorite local restaurants and. Uh, Sounds like they yeah. figured out how to make it work. Yeah. So I also read that um, she's executive producing an eight-part anthology series based on her music that's set to debut on Netflix next year. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a lot of awesome stuff coming up for her. And um, she says, though the couple, you know, because the couple, they haven't had children of their own, Mm -hmm. but they have lots of nieces and nephews. Yeah. Um, And Dolly has a superstar goddaughter, Miley Cyrus. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, they really like to take care of their nieces and and nephews and um, their kids around when they want to Because... Yeah, she's got her nonprofit organization, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. And so she says, now that I'm older, I realize I didn't have kids of my own, so everybody's kids could be mine. I want to empower children and give them confidence. She's just such an incredible woman. And I just feel like, you know, that bit about, you know, empowering people and having confidence and having faith is such a dolly thing. Mm -hmm. And so you'll notice that um, I pretty much am stopping the episode at where her career really takes off. So that was the early life Mm -hmm. of Dolly Parton, her family, her roots, her upbringing, her first couple of gigs. and Such a super inspiring story to know, you know, what she came from and how she built herself up and believed in herself and everyone can take, you know, something out of this and apply it to their life. Yeah. And we can always do a part two. Yeah. Leave There's off. still plenty of yeah. dollars to talk I mean, about. we're only in the late 60s now, yeah. so we can talk about things that happened after that and people that she met. And I know that... Um, you know, there were some things in her life, like not affairs, but I know that I've read a few things about having like where her 
you know, she had felt very emotionally close to other people and sort of navigating that That, part of relationships. And I think she's famously, famously said, like... I'm married, but I'm not dead, or like, yeah. I'm married, but I'm not blind, yeah. or something like that. So that would be kind of uh, interesting to go into in a little bit more detail. Absolutely. But that's what we've got for today. Yeah, Dolly Part 1 for now. Yeah, did you learn some new things? Absolutely. Did you, did you know all that stuff about no. her upbringing? Not, no, I didn't. And yeah, that's so fascinating and inspiring, and I really like how creative their family was and how they, you know, work together to make, you know, it's special for them and you don't need money to have you know a good strong relationship and upbringing and you just need to you know be on the same page be together and yeah and it's really interesting that dolly said um i've never had a bad experience with sex and that's really interesting i'd like to sort of look into that a little bit more because it's almost seems like that's so rare especially growing up in like the 40s and 50s and you know in a in a sort of hillbilly okay and don't take this the wrong way this is not what i mean i just feel like i've been reading and it's just so in our faces lately about people growing up not really you know being helicopter parented all of the time so it's like yes go with your uncle to this yeah. thing. spend this huge amount of time with your uncle and then go on this man's show and spend like tons of alone time with him as well and it's just like yeah she was just so like she had somebody or something watching over her Mm -hmm. you know that she just like was safe and that everybody who was supposed to look after her and look and support her and and help her like did and that's how it should be you know what i mean that's how it should be and unfortunately what is more common is how much like abuse happens in these kinds of situations those situations are taken advantage of and And it's sad that that's the norm like we're surprised that she like has had all yeah. of these positive experiences with like men and growing up and relationships and sex and it's refreshing for sure for sure yeah and it, yeah it's the way it should be 100 percent. way it should be yeah <laughs> Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read Podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.